A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by the Double Ashes winning legend, Steve Harmison. And there's only one place to start, as both Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson have been dropped for England's three-test tour to the West Indies, with every ball live and exclusive on TalkSport 2. As well as that, we'll look back at a whirlwind week in English cricket, with Ashley Giles, Chris Silverwood and Graham Thorpe leaving their roles. And we'll hear from both Tom Harrison and Sir Andrew Strauss. Justin Langer has resigned as Australia's head coach. We'll get the lowdown on that and ask, what qualities could he bring to the England job? And we'll reflect on the disappointing ashes for England's women and defeat for the under-19s the under in the World Cup final against India. So, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Harmi, I know you quite well, and I'm just guessing, because we haven't spoken about it, the, the news was just released uh, a short time ago, but um, I, I'm thinking that with England not having passed 300 and then dropping their two greatest or most successful ever bowlers, um, you'll probably not be best impressed. <laughs> no, I'm actually gobsmacked about what's happened. I, I was of the opinion before the Ashes that England go to Australia play some good cricket, everything go nicely. If they win, great. If they don't win, at least be in a contest and everything going, you know, England's cricket going forward. Then I'd look at maybe having a look at some uh, Matt Fisher, Saki Mahmood, Matt Parkinson, all these guys who are on the just underneath in the West Indies. But when you go over and get beat the way you got beat, with all the sackings that's gone on in the last week or so, one one win in 14 test matches. Broad and Anderson being arguably just behind Wood, Robinson and the Shining Light Department from an Ashes tour, Ashes debacle. You have to win test matches. We have to go and win. We've been there once since, tw- since 1967-68 and won. That was the first tour that we didn't have a Broad, and, Broad or an Anderson on it. So I think it's a mistake. I really do. 
I thought, you know what, it might not be a bad thing. I can understand what they're possibly trying to do, but the quotes that's come out from Sir Andrew Strauss is leaving the door open but closing it at the same time, basically saying the new selection panel, the new coach, the new director of cricket will make the decision on Broad and Anderson. Well, actually, they've just done it, in my opinion. I don't think they can come back. It's not right. They should be coming back. What a bit of pressure they've got on. England go into West Indies and lose 3-0. The clamour for Broad and Anderson to come back will be there. I just think it's I think it's weird. I, I don't think it's right. Uh, I think Broad and Anderson would have been better in the group. I'm looking at someone like Craig Overton, who didn't even get close to a game in Australia. You put Broad in that spot. You look at Chris Wokes, who looked miles away when it came to being a threat in Australia. You put Anderson in that spot, even though you know, Wokes is a batsman, but he's, his primary job is a bowler. You look at Mahmood and Fisher going away with Broad and Anderson and what they can learn, with Ollie Robinson learn, still learning as well. I think that would have been a, more, a better team and a balanced attack. So I look at this and I just think, is, is it strong management? Quite possibly. But I also look at it and think, if this is the end, for Broad and Anderson, it's a disgrace, the way we've been trapped. We've got so much to get through, and we're going to come back to um, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. Just for those who may not be aware of the news, eight members of the Ashes squad have uh, been dispensed with for the three matches. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, Don Best, Sam Billings, Rory Burns, Joss Butler, Hasib Hamid and David Milan. Um, I mean, I'm really surprised by David Milana. I thought that he was really something to work with. So Saki Mahmood comes in, Ben Folks, Chris Wokes stays in, Ollie Robinson, I guess, I don't know. Does he become the leader of the attack? There's so much to talk about. Alex Lease as well. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm rushing you uh, because there is so much to talk about. Alex Lease will presumably open the batting. Now, he's played 127 first-class games, scored over 7,000 runs, averages under 35 but does have 1700s. That smacks to me of an inspired selection because, you know, you look at a 28-year-old's career numbers and you won't get necessarily an accurate picture of, of, of his graph of improvement. So, um, I, I, I mean, you and I both punted him during the summer, didn't we? And uh, we, you reckon that uh, he's, he deserves his shot. Yeah, he does. I think he does deserve his shot. I was going for going back to somebody a little bit older the likes of Lives' name was mentioned, Stogman's name was mentioned, Robson's name was mentioned. But I think Alex Lees, who hasn't had a go, I think he deserves a go. And I think his numbers of, of just under 35 is he had a good time at Yorkshire in the start of his career. He got the captaincy, which I don't think suited him and didn't go right for him. Um, there was a lot of stuff went on at Yorkshire at the time and he decided to leave, to rebuild his career. And he went to Durham and he slowly but surely built their numbers back up, scores hundreds, um, and did very, very well with the Lions out in Australia, leading them against the England side. So I think he's been on one on the, on the England radar for a while, and I'm pleased for him. Durham player, another another feather in the, in the Durham cap. The, the ones that have been omitted, we all wanted Joss Butler to, to, to be a success story. We all wanted Joss Butler to, to make it at test match level, but for some reason it just hasn't happened for him. And I struggle to put my finger on why, because he's so talented, but some, it just sometimes it doesn't. I look at someone like Graham Hick or, or Mark Rampakash. It just didn't happen for them. 
Um, I don't think it was for the want of trying. I don't think it was for the want of effort or, or ability. It just, it just didn't happen for Joss because of how good he is in the white ball game. I think his numbers of, of hundreds compared to test matches played for a player of that calibre. I think he had a, enough and a good and a good run at it. So I don't I, I don't think he can complain that he's not in it. The David Milan one, I can see why they've left him out. And on a personal level, I think it's the right thing. Um, I spoke to him yesterday on on Monday morning. We had something in common. We both had children born when we weren't there during an Ashes trip. And I think from the personal point of view, from from what David was telling me, and I'm not going to say it, but I think I would have left him out as well and told him to spend some time with his family because the, the human element, I think, deserves a little bit of compassion. And I think I'd have, I'd have, I'd have made that decision even if David Milan had an unbelievable to, uh, tour to Australia because I think it's the right thing to do. And if he comes back in the summer because uh, he's getting runs for Yorkshire, then brilliant. You know, he's a, he, he, is a, he is a class player. So I'm happy on that side that, that them decisions have been made. I just keep coming back to the... The main topic and the main topic, we can't get away from the fact that if this is the end for the two greatest cricketers that we've ever produced, I just don't think it's right for them to go out this way. They should be walking off arm in arm fanfare at one of the English test grounds in, uh, with an unbelievable week of, of celebration because what them two have given this country when it comes to cricket in terms, I think is above and way beyond. I don't think they should be Part of the sacking blame when we struggled to get 200 and 250 runs and we got beat because we didn't score any runs, not because anything that broad around us and were, were part of. Okay, I wanted to ask you about um, the size of their personalities and characters and whether that may have played a role, the fact they've been in the England setup for so long. Um, and neither of them are disruptive. Um, Stuart Broad is, it can be outspoken, and, and he was the one who said many home truths during the Ashes series. He was the one that said, it doesn't matter how many wickets you're taking, you're not going to win test matches if it'd been bowled out for 140. So, you know, is it about a personality thing? Is it, I mean, there's no doubt about their talent. I mean, Jimmy Anderson has been getting better and better. The numbers and the statistics show that over the uh, over recent years. So is it just that we need this, whatever this reset is, and, and therefore we need new voices and fresh opinions and maybe not so hurtful truths um, in the change room. And then that leads me on to Matt Fisher, who's the poor man. He's he's just turned 24. And, you know, Anderson and Broad get dropped. And everyone's going, who's Matt Fisher? He's taking their place. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's crazy. I'm over the moon for, for Matt Fisher. He's, he's somebody who's had a lot of trouble with injuries, but he had a good Lions trip. I watched him bowl outside for the first time this morning and he bowled beautifully. Five overs, obviously, in the, the, in the tent. His marquee that Yorkshire have got up and he looks in very, very good order. Um, it's a shame he's not going to get to rub shoulders with, with Broader Anderson. It's a shame that his selection, along with Saki Mahmood for the first time, Matt Parkinson for the first time, I'm trying to think of anybody else for the first time, getting overshadowed because of obviously, you know, getting picked for England is, is a... Is a, is a special, special honour. But when I look at it again, I look at the squad and I see the, you see the characters that potentially are going are gonna to have to stand up. Um, Joe Root's going to have to bat three, in my opinion. Me and Mark Butcher had an argument on air during the series a couple of years ago about number three. And I said, he has to bat three for the good of the team. 
And I think Joe's going to have to go and do that now. Um, and the other one, the point that you made, you know, reset, reset and look to go again. Well, I've got a funny feeling in Antigua, first test match, we are going to pick the same Gabber bowling attack. We are gonna, we are gonna pick the same attack that played in the Gabba. We are not gonna learn from our mistakes on a on a slow, docile, flat pitch. We are gonna pick two 80 mile an hour bowlers, a spin, a slow left arm spinner who's not the biggest of turners, and we're gonna break Mark Wood because he's gonna have to bowl some overs. Stokes will not be able to bowl. So we have not really, we're not gonna really learn from our mistakes because Wokes will bat number eight. Wood has to play because of his pace. Robinson was our best bowler from a stats point of view, was one of our best bowlers in Australia, and Leach is our spinner. That's our bowling attack from the Gabba, and that's going to be our bowling attack in Antigua. So we talk about reset, you can talk about reset as much as you want. We're going to make the same mistake again. This time, hopefully our batting unit will get more than 200, give our bowlers a chance. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we continue to look back uh, what has been a tumultuous week in English cricket uh, with the uh, departures of Ashley Giles, Chris Silverwood and assistant coach Graham Thorpe. All three uh, have left their jobs. Uh, that's how it was described by the ECB, by Tom Harrison. They left their roles. They were sacked, um, Steve Harmison. Um, they probably expected no less. Um, and I suppose you weren't surprised either, were you? No, not really. Um, I think it was inevitable after the winter that we've had that they'd lose their jobs. Uh, I feel sorry for them because I'm not sure the cricket has got them sacked. I'm not sure that a little bit of their own doing with, with decisions they've made. Yes, of course, they've been sacked off the back of that. I think, I think some of the decisions they've made have been quite baffling sometimes on how they've looked after players and when they've looked after players. Um, and it all came to head in the ashes. I don't think we stood any chance of winning the ashes when you look back and reflect on it now. We said before this, the ashes series, possibly England have a chance with the names that are going over, but that was just names on a bit of paper. The way the, the, way the whole tour was set up, the way the preparation went, everything that went against England, that could go against England, went against England. Unfortunately, Ashley Giles, who was there planning it, Chris Silverwood, who was there coaching it, they've been the four guys. And where do they go from here? I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure how and what where you where you go from here. But uh, it's it's not a great it's not a great surprise that the two of them have lost their jobs. Well, um, Andrew Strauss is obviously in as interim managing director. You say it's a results business. This is what the chief executive Tom Harrison had to say about the departures. These are decisions that are taken. Uh, once you've assessed in detail all of the facts uh, and taken a view on what you're trying to do in the future. Um, you know, we've obviously had a very uh, difficult couple of years um, dealing with the pandemic and the, the, t the test team and the test environment have, have felt the brunt of that, to be honest. So there are real complexities around this, but this is more a uh, reflection of where we need to take the, the team now uh, and what are the, the, the people and the resources that we need in place to do that. Uh, and so, yeah, we've got um, some short-term challenges ahead, but um, I think this does give the, the test team a, a bit of space and a, um, an opportunity to reset with um, some big challenges ahead, but right at the start of a, of, of a new cycle. So um, whilst, you know, this is a very difficult week, uh, it's also, you know, we, we have the opportunity now to, to have a fresh approach to how we're taking this team forward. 
And just very lastly, of course, with the two roles having the two positions being moved on, a lot of questions have come onto yourself as to perhaps whether you are the right person and whether you feel you should carry on in the role. But what do you have to say to those people? Look, I'm, I know I recognise it's been a very difficult period for English cricket. Uh, I'm working day and night to ensure that uh, we're putting plans in place to, uh, uh, to remedy it and to get the game back onto the right track. And that is my focus. Chief Executive Tom Harrison, um, many people, Harmi, is saying that um, if, uh, if the three below him are being sacked, why on earth isn't he walking? can't believe it. I really can't. I'm really struggling to understand how he's still in a job. I really, really am. Um, he will say that he was brought in for TV deal and 100 and get that over the line and he got it over the line. Yeah, fair play to him. But if, you, if you're losing a director of cricket, who he appointed, if you're losing a coach who he had a say in appointing, then unfortunately, I think I think Tom Harrison should have should have gone as well. I still think he should have gone. So it seems to be like Boris Johnson. He just doesn't seem to want to give up that, that CEO's job or the big job. Um, and move on to something else. It hasn't worked from a, a cricket side point of view of making the game better when it comes to our, making our Red Bull team better, our, our, our national team better. We've got worse in the last two years when it comes to Red Bull. We have got worse. We've got players who have gone in there. And this is not Tom Harrison's fault, but you know, he is the one that's moving on coaches that he appointed. He is the one that signed off on the system of losing Ed Smith not having a, a chairman of selectors, not having a selection panel, giving the coach and the, the captain the seer to, to, to sort of basically do what they want. But when that decision didn't work, the guy that signed off on that decision should go. And that would be the reset button that Sir Andrew Strauss is talking about. I don't, I don't, I've not spoke to anybody or heard anybody who has defended Tom Harrison. And it's not a witch hunt. I don't, I've got nothing against the guy. I think he's a, He's a nice guy for what I've what I've when I've met him. But at the end of the day, if we are making statements about moving forward and resetting you know, the Red Bull or the, the English cricket system, then I think we need I think we need brand new eyes all the way from the top to to head coach, which would be a man in the middle, another selection panel, um, and a rethink on how we play all cricket in this country to make sure that we're going forward. There are T20 teams around the world, Army, that employ analysts and selectors and coaches on a full-time basis, just, just for T20. Uh, so Chris Silverwood has to run the England T20 team, the 50-over team, uh, the Test Match team. He's then told that he's uh, head of um, selection as well, and he's got no one to, to rely on and, and gets uh, no um, second opinion. Um, he then collapses under the pressure uh, of all that, um, and then he's sacked. Graham thought, though, I wanted to ask you, do you think he was sacked uh, for smoking a cigar at the end of the Ashes series and setting off the fire alarm in the team hotel in, in um, Hobart? Or was he sacked because Ollie Pope and Zach Crawley and, um, and, and the other members of the top order have made no progress? In fact, they seem to have regressed. I mean, his main mandate was as, as batting coach. Um, but then is the national batting coach... Uh, we, we're in a sorry state of affairs when, when he's supposed to make the country's best players better. Yeah, I, I think there's a combination on why thorpe has gone. thorpe has gone because obviously he, he brought some negative headlines towards towards England. I think there's a black mark there. The cigar and the video, I could understand. He was trying to, he had a video up his sleeve to, to say, we're not doing anything wrong. And they, they weren't doing anything wrong, but how I've got made public, 
that hasn't helped him. But on the other hand, I look at some of these players and I go, well, if you need a technical batting coach at the England level, who's picking the side? He shouldn't be playing. If Ollie Pope tells Chris Silverwood at the start of the Ashes trip, I need to I need to bring in Vikram Solanke, I'll pay for him before the first test match because I'm under I'm not I'm not ready. Then what you've been doing for two or three months? Ownership of your own career. Look, I made a I can quite happily sit here and say I made monumental mistakes in my career. It was my mistakes. My, my mistakes. I decided not to go to the gym every now and again, or more often than not. I decided to go and eat me fish supper and have me a couple of pints. It was my decision to go and bowl all them overs. That maybe put my body in jeopardy of moving forward when the new age of professionalism come in. My decision. I was the ownership of my career. So I just think sometimes we hide behind the fact that when we when things don't go well, it's somebody else's fault. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. It's your fault. It's your career. You know, I've had my go. That's what I'd be saying. Whatever you do from here on in, I can't affect. I can give you some advice. I can talk you through situations of what I've seen throughout my experience of my career. That's why I'm 44 and that full stone overweight. I've had my career. This is yours. You take ownership of it. I can put ideas in your head. But ultimately, you've got to deliver. And unfortunately for England, all these deliverance. You know, Ollie Pope's the biggest one. Um, I look at that kid and I think, you know what? He's got all the talent in the world. All the talent in the world. We're talking about Joe Root standard about two years ago. The 22 test matches now, and he's gone backwards. He goes into first-class cricket, smashes it. Great. Goes into test cricket, and all of a sudden, he's like a cat knocked in roof. So he's got to take ownership of how he gets himself in a position to get in for the first 20 balls in a test match. Understand that bowl is bowl good balls in test cricket. Can't just stand off stump and think, right, I'm going to get three or four away off the leg side, two or three away on the off side, and then me in as a start like he does in first-class cricket. It's not the same. That's not, that's not technical coaching. That's mental. At this minute in time, he seems to be mentally, mentally an, an issue. Just going back to the big picture, there's um, one man that we both enjoy very much, brutal clarity of thought uh, from uh, George Dobell from uh, the Cricketer magazine. Let's hear what um, he had to say about the big picture. What has happened is that his job has become untenable because it's not a real job. He hasn't got any decisions to make. They're all made by Tom Harrison. And he's realised that he's basically been scapegoated, I believe. And um, he's realised that it's an impossible job to do. So, uh, yeah, I think he's been scapegoated for the failures uh, of England in recent times. And the reason I say that is because England went into the Ashes with a terrible schedule, not anything to do with him. The players weren't available very much, nothing to do with him. Uh, when they go and play in the IPL, they don't come back on time to play county cricket to prepare for test series. That's a decision made by Tom Harrison. I think he has been... Uh, scapegoated, as I say, to distract from the fact that Tom Harrison continues to do an absolutely dreadful job and is about to pick up an absolutely enormous bonus for doing it. England will keep losing because structurally they are a mess and the uh, characters in the roles have no chance. So I think it's a massive distraction and uh, you know it might keep the media occupied for a day or two, but it won't actually do anything to correct the long-term uh, weaknesses of English cricket. They are never as well prepared as they should be because they are always chasing the short-term buck. And now people have moaned about the results because the results are awful, as they were bound to be, and they are being thrown to the wolves. And I think it's nonsense. The, the guy who is 
making the decisions, who continues to remain in the role, who had the meeting with Ashley Giles this morning, is Tom Harrison. And as I say, he's about to get a big fat bonus and he is an utterly incompetent man. That's George Dobell, as always, um, brutally honest. Um, he sees us going around in a, in a big four-year cycle. Um, we've uh, said the same things four years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago. And in four years' time, unless uh, big things change, the big picture really changes, then he says, <laughs> in four years' time, we'll just sack everyone else. We will, and that's just the nature of Ashes cricket at home and abroad. Or, and you look at it, not just Ashes cricket, you know, we've got two at the West Indies. We haven't won there. We've won there once in 50-odd years. So, arguably, that's a harder tour than the Ashes. So, it's getting harder and harder to win test matches away from home. England have now got to find a way to take ownership of somehow being able to steer in series to contest the back end of the series when the pressure's on the home side. That's something that England haven't been able to do for, for quite some time now. And... Who comes in to, to sort of to help that is the million dollar question. Okay, final word in this section goes to uh, Sir Andrew Strauss, um, who is also obviously been focusing on the big picture in the future. It's also worth mentioning we're going to have a new England coach down the track, you know, and probably hopefully for the the start of the international summer. So there is going to be that refresh. I, I definitely feel like this is a start of a new cycle for the Test team, and um, and and an opportunity to relook at everything, you know, whether it's the structures, whether it's selection, whether it's the, the coaching set up and make sure that um, we've got the right team in place to to reset, reset that, that, that test team and, and push forward quickly. Sir Andrew Strauss, who's uh, come in to take over as uh, director of uh, cricket on an interim basis. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll head to Australia, to Brisbane, in fact, to get the lowdown on Justin Langer. With his name in the frame, would he really? For the England head coach role, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. 
To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available as always via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Delighted to say we're joined live on the line once again by the great Robert Crash Craddock from uh, Brisbane, and we're talking Justin Langer. Sense of sadness, I think. Um, Former greats and teammates appalled by uh, his treatment. The first question, Crash, I was going to save this till last, and it is it, it does seem like the naturally last question to ask you, but I want to make sure we get it in, so I'm going to start with the last first. He wouldn't, would he? Justin Langer, he wouldn't. He wouldn't cross the Ashes divide. Could he? Uh, look, he wants to be a career coach. He's got a tattoo of a kangaroo on his backside. He's got a, he flies the Australian flag in his front yard, man. So he's got a little bit to overcome. My main issue with him, just quickly, and it, stre- it stretches back to a conversation I had with Craig Chappell after he coached India. Craig said it took him two years to get over it physically and mentally. Uh, that's my query, the physical and mental state of a guy who hasn't been home since September, who's just arrived home. Could he lift himself to, to, to coach England? I, I think he will consider it if it's offered to him. I think he could work if he did do it. But just that, once you've climbed Mount Everest, it's hard when you're back at the base base camp to look up at another mountain. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think it would be very difficult for him to to take the England job on now. You might take it on in the future, but now I think that would be, I think that would be very, very difficult. I, I want to know what, what really happened. We're from a distance. I've just seen somebody who I played against a hell of a lot and have the utmost respect for. I think he's a, I, I like Justin Langer as a person, loved him as a player. I just look at this and think, well, what's gone wrong? Because he's just won the World T20. He's won the Ashes. And he's he's literally being run out of a job by, you know, for a better word, his players. Hundred percent. Look, the short story is simply this: there was two Justin Langers. The first is the most gracious guy you've ever seen in your life, who uh, will fly, break camp, and fly down and spend time with Tim Payne because he's heard he's in distress. He'll do videos for people who are struggling. He's a really good guy. His teammates liked him, and that means a lot to me. The other side of Justin Langer was. He could overcook. Uh, it wasn't intensity, Harmy. It was volatility, and there is a difference. Uh, he could be, you know, he could blow up at the smallest things, and, and that unsettled players, you know? Like, I'm looking at successful cricket coaches, and I'm seeing Trevor Bayless, John Buchanan, John Wright. They all had one thing in common. They were serene in the dressing room. Now, just that volatility didn't work. He got the players offside. 
and he never really got them back. He mm. never got them back. And if you had a player on here tonight and we switched the cameras off, he'd say, hey, Harmy, I don't know whether you realise, but he what we won the Ashes and the World T20 after we he took orders to take a bit more of a backward step. So, look, for every argument, there's a counter-argument, but he's a good man, but deeply wounded, deeply wounded by this, Steve. So where does Justin go from here, from that then? Because we've seen over the course of the last probably 10 years, well, since the IPL's been going, the crossover dressing rooms of international players now, people talk. So mm. whatever job Justin Langer goes into, that's the thing that disappoints me about the player power in this, is that every, every dressing room Justin Langer goes into from now on in his career, there's going to be somebody in there who are going to be close to one of the Australian players of this and yeah. have the have the players have has this tarnished Justin Langer's career going forward? Steve, I I ha, I must point out that it wasn't every player. Marnus mm. Labuschagne got on really well with Langer. You know, they're batting junkies. They got each other. Usman Khawaja talked really directly to him, and yet they they got on well because it was real man to man stuff. Like Justin, people are walking on eggshells around you. You're too intense. Try and chill out. But Justin actually got to appreciate that feedback. So it's not every player. It was about half the team. But uh, you're right. And I think player power, I, I've been fascinated by the evolution of it. See, Alan Border's last contract for Australia in 1994 was $85,000 Australian. It was about 100 US. So players needed the system. They had to keep their own careers alive to get survive after cricket. They don't need that anymore. You know, some of these IPL players are worth $20 million. You know, they with money comes power and independence. That's the thing, independence. You don't need the system anymore. So there was no player unions around in Alan Border's day. But So that's why player power can win. Player power won here, 100%. The board would have loved to have reappointed him. They liked him. But, Harmy, if you said, okay, what's the single biggest argument that I've heard that I agree with about him going, it would be, I got a couple of emails from businessmen saying, your agents of change that you bring in when the ship is really low in the water and you're struggling, they're really the guys you need once it's high in the water and you're sailing and the sails are billowing. You generally go to a different sort of coach, a softer coach, a softer person. I get that, fair argument. Does that, that not hold its own sort of dangers? Sorry, man, as you're going to go, but does that not hold its own dangers that a little bit like England, we, we get beaten in the ashes every four years. George DeBell spoke, speaks and he says, yeah, we'll go around and we'll sack another four coaches in four years' time and then we'll sack another four coaches in four years' time. Is this the same in this situation that he has you know, got the ship onto the higher waters? He has got the ship as high as it possibly can be. If you do go down the 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 nicey nicey coach in three years' time, we're Australia going to be back to where they were before pre Justin Langer. Very good point. A, a good mate of mine who's a good judge said, "Okay, the players have had their say getting rid of the coach, but I don't believe they should pick the new coach." He said, mm -hmm. "I do, do not want to give the players the coach they want. I, I want it. We should decide who is the best coach, you know." And that that's a very fair point. But what wasn't interesting, on the same day Silverwood gets sacked for being too nice, Langer gets sacked for being too harsh. But one international coach, Stephen Manners, said this to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll 
about four months ago, he said, because player power is what it is, the only coach that can survive in international cricket is the guy who can gently tilt the boat downstream, who pushes the rudder ever so softly from side to side. But he said, if, if you think you can turn the boat around and head upstream against player power, no chance, zero. Sorry, Nasser Hussain was uh, one of those who says that uh, Langer's qualities are exactly what England need. Let's remind us what he said. Langer would be very good for two reasons. He's just played against England, so he knows exactly where their strengths and weaknesses lie. He's literally been there, seen it. He's also the type of character that England need at the moment. They do need that micromanagement. They do need that kick up the backside. They are not performing. The sum of their parts is not greater than its whole. You know, they've got to get... Um, results going. So Langer would be a good candidate. It was Nasser Hussain saying that uh, Justin Langer is exactly the type of coach that England uh, need. And that's uh, thanks to Sky, of course. Um, I don't know how England's players would feel if, um, I mean, it, it's slightly condescending, patronising, whatever it is that, uh, that you, you know, you say, uh, or what these players need. You're talking about the best players in England. What they need is to, you know, someone to come in and give them the marching orders and, you know, uh, to tell them a few home truths and, and treat them like kids, basically. Crash, do you have any sense of unease um, at all about the amount of player power? Do you think that Pat Cummins uh, was put in an impossible, invidious position? Um, or do you think this is just a, a natural evolution? Yeah, your last sentence... You got it, man. It's just sort of a natural evolution. It's happening in all sports. You know, as we said, money creates independence, creates power. I remember former high-performance boss Pat Howard saying one of his quotes was, and this is about six years ago or so, we don't own them anymore. Players used to need the system so badly. They were just pawns. Even in Warren's era, Warren said the other day, he said, look, I didn't like playing with John Buchanan, the coach. But I accepted it. I never once tried to get him sacked because that wasn't my job, you know. Players never had that power back then, Manners, but they do now. And I'm not so sure about Justin Langer in England. It sounds terrific in theory. I, I, I get it. The hard man coming in. But I'm so interested in what Steve thinks because, to me, modern players are modern players, whether they play for England or Australia. I 100% agree with that. I, I don't think... I don't think it would be right for, for Justin Langer to come into England. Uh, he probably needs a break that comes with that. I think England, they need a coach that, yes, has got a, I would say, a, not a, an iron fist, but I think you've got to have somebody who has authority. And that, I think, would go the complete opposite to what, to what Chris Silverwood was. I think Paul Collingwood, I think, would be a good coach because I think with the, what you've just mentioned there, Somebody just to ease the boat down the down the down the river in such a right way. You know, he's well liked and well respected in the group. He's not somebody that's going to rant and rave, but he's very very ruthless. I know that for a fact. I've been on the end of it, um, and I think that would be uh, be somewhere where I would look to go. So I'm intrigued to see how that goes with the West Indies. I didn't I didn't enjoy playing with Duncan Fletcher, but it never made me play play any any better or any worse because he was coached like what Warnie's saying there about John Buchanan. You know, the, it's the ownership is over your career from an individual point of view. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with these Australian players when they go to Pakistan and things don't go right for them. Then all of a sudden, what sort of what characters then come out of that dressing room? Because you can't blame Justin Langer anymore. You've got what you've wanted, and now 
we've got to remember as well, Australia have only played international cricket in their own back garden. You know, well, test cricket anyway. So when they go around the world now, you know, they've got what they want after winning the Ashes, winning the World T20. There's a lot of pressure on these individual players going forward. So that's going to be intriguing. But I, as much as, as, much as I like Langer, as much as I like Justin Langer as a person, as a character and as a player, I don't think it's the right fit for England at this minute in time, no matter what Nasser Hussain says. Nasser Hussain came in and told the world what he was going to do with Duncan Fletcher in 1999 or 2000. And like you mentioned, Crash, was a different game. Players were different people. Characters were different characters. And the system was a completely different system because of the financial resources that's in the game now. We need different. We need a different way and a different method. Yeah, it's fascinating. And... Steve, we feel also that coaches, cricket is still suspicious of coaches. Like, there's no Sir Alex Ferguson of cricket coaches, is there? Mm. The doyen, like, uh, Australia's only had them since the mid-1980s. Bob Simpson was the first. And they're still viewed as, I'm not saying second rate, but I'm saying they're, they're, they're not lauded. And they're viewed with some suspicion. Like, Langer did a documentary on the last tour of England when he was sort of a bit of the star of it. Now, he didn't want to be the star, but he sort of ended up the star and the players didn't like it. So I think as soon as the players can sniff a bit of a profile about a coach, sometimes they sort of think, well, really, what do they do? You know, so Quick is still suspicious of coaches for sure. Yeah, I get that. But the the thing I would throw that back at, Langer was the star and role in it because... That was editorial privilege for the, the documentary people who were putting it together. Now, the players are getting paid yeah. every single penny that their agreed contract was to make that documentary. It's just maybe they were not, they were not suspicious of Langer. They were suspicious of the TV company. And the best footage of the, of the whole series was largely down to Justin Langer being himself. So is Justin Langer, yeah. is Justin Langer guilty of just being himself in that documentary? Which is which, which the outside world thinks, you know, he's too intense, he's this, he's that, and the other. And if the players have gone against that there, that's that's a dangerous place to be in as well for me. Yeah, it was a lot of people have spoken about a part in the documentary, Steve, where Aaron Finch does not uh, review a, a decision in, in uh, one of the games, one of the white, white ball games, and Justin comes in, what were you thinking in the dressing room and really gives him a barrel full? And it's not comfortable viewing and it does spotlight that sort of the intensity that he has brought to the dressing room and a sort of volatility that just rub players up the, up the wrong way. And it's been interesting because Pat Cummins has not spoken yet about it. He's been urged to do so by Usman Khawaja as if to say, everyone knows the players got what they want, but it's now up to them to take some sort of ownership for it. And I think Cummins has got to come out and say, look, they asked for our opinion. I gave our opinion. We felt Justin did a good job, but we felt it was time to move forward and transition. I was very grateful for what he gave, you know. And I felt that Pat should have said that three or four days ago. He could have shaped the narrative, but now there's a danger the narrative could shape him. Very finally and quickly, Crash, you'll know that South Africans are still filthy with Australia not coming to play played t- uh, test cricket um, um, in South Africa when it had the sort of lowest uh, COVID uh, positive cases in Africa. Um, and now they're going to Pakistan for the first time in 24 years. Uh, I guess um, on behalf of many 
cynical cricket viewers around the world, are, are they going to go? They will go. And uh, I say with no pride at all that Australia's last overseas test was the Oval. Can you believe it in 2019? That's Australia's last overseas test. It's extraordinary. So I've often felt over the years, Manners, Australia has let overseas nations down by not touring. We haven't played the West Indies in a test for five years. Go figure that one. How does that happen? And yet when they were when they were Viv Richards and Joel Garner, we tried to play them every year. So they're not great missionaries, Australia. They, I think they will go. The players had reservations. I know two or three players I spoke to were right on the edge. It took a lot of talking to get them over the line. But they're all in it together now, and I think they'll all go. They'll have presidential security. Imran Khan spoken to the security boys. So... And look, it'll be a fabulous series. I'm so looking forward to it. They're expecting three different wickets, a turner, a green top, and a flatty. So it'll be great. Fantastic. Robert Crash Craddock, you're a legend. And it's always a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for your time, mate. No, it's my holiday. I love when you boys ring up, but I listen intently. You've all, I find it's a great deal. Of, I do more learning than I do talking on your podcast. So it's my pleasure. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Yes, <laughs> Part four, we uh, look at other news around the world um, and uh, in England as well. Let's start with the Under-19 World Cup final, which uh, threatened to be a massive, massive anti-climax when England batting first um, collapsed to, to 61 for six and 91 for seven, but um, were helped along to a respectable 189 by um, James Rue, who made 95, and James Sales, who made 34. Those two added 90 for the, for the eighth wicket. Huge disappointment, uh, Harmy, but it was an opportunity for, for two guys to put their hands up. And I guess there's the, the you know how much I love lower order runs. <laughs> so we'll look out for those names in the future. Yeah, it's it was great to see them get to the final. You know, not many of these guys have played a, a lot of first class cricket. Um, so it was their exposure in the big time because obviously the games are on TV and pipe back to the back well, all around the world, but obviously back into England where you can see you know, who the next stars are. And there's one or two there you think, yeah, they've got a chance. You know, the couple of spinners that bowled nicely, especially in the semi-final, to get them in the position to win the final, to get into the final. India showed that their world domination is is still on with, with some of the, the younger players that they've got. But I think the young lads can be proud of, you know, getting to the final in the Caribbean and and putting a show on that got, that, that went into TVs around the world. So, but you're right. At one point, I think we were ready for switching the television off, and you know this game could be finished collectively, could be finished in 22 overs. But um, it's, it was it was good to see, and not only did um, did Sales get get runs, he got a couple of wickets at the top there, and you're thinking it might just be his day here. But now India came through, but it was fantastic to see. It's always good to see young players excel and express themselves when they're put under pressure by the TV cameras. Um, and now it's their challenge to come home and, and do it for their counties as well. Because uh, let's be fair, you know, if you have another good year in county cricket, you might have a chance of knocking on the England door with it being 20, 21 year old. Because we seem to do that, pick players at a young age, and then hopefully the sink or swim. James Sales, of course, is uh, is David Sales' son. Yeah. So uh, like like father, like son. You know, I made an interesting discovery a couple of days ago. Um, Rahul Dravid, when he was captain, uh, sorry, when he was coaching India under-19s, introduced a rule so um, cynical and fed up had he become of uh, what he what is commonly known as age fiddling, 
Um, and he introduced a rule, simple rule, whereby you can only play one under 19 World Cup. That was it. So it's never mind uh, age testing and and uh, and all the science. He just said you can you only play once. So yeah. there's no point. There's no point fiddling at yeah. your age. Well, that was quite brilliant. And changing subject now, um, we must mention the women's ashes. Um, England uh, went down three nil in the ODI series. They needed to win it three nil, of course, to to win the ashes. My overriding uh, feeling from me, Harmi, is that England have a very very good team. Mm. Um, and some some very fine, very fine um, individual cricketers, which to me just says how good this Australian team is. I mean, they they are phenomenal. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say we have got a good side and we've performed. I thought we've performed reasonably well. I thought we performed very well, actually. But the problem is they were just better. You, know, you get that. You get that in, in sport. You can perform to the best of your ability, but if a team who are in their own back garden, slightly better than you, and they perform, well, they're going to win. And unfortunately, you can say, you know, same old England going over from a, a men and women's point of view and a lot of negative headlines. I don't think so on this one. I really don't. I think the England women's team have gone there and, and performed uh, performed very, very well. And they go on to the World Cup in a little bit of luck. And that's all you need in a knockout tournament like the World Cup, a little bit of luck. They knock uh, Australia out or somebody else knocks Australia out. The preparation that they've had going into it, it wouldn't surprise me if England wouldn't go on and win the World Cup. So they've, they've done very, very well. Just unfortunately, they've come up against a team who were just slightly better. Let's move into the onto the county scene now. Mickey Arthur is a, a great team builder. And I'm not talking about morale. I'm talking literally constructs a team. And he started the process um, at Derbyshire now. Suranga Lakmal um, was a brilliant seamer for many years for Sri Lanka and, and hits the seamer, you know, good old fashioned seamer. And it was said for many a year that uh, he would prosper in English conditions. And, and so he's going to get the chance to now. Um, all the Sri Lankan players all had their central contracts um, drastically cut. He was on $80,000 a year with uh, Sri Lanka. That was cut to $30,000 or $25,000 a year. So he retired from international cricket. And he's, he's joined Derbyshire on a, on a three-year deal. So Mickey, Mickey Arthur has he's begun the process of building his team. As I said, he identifies where he needs players, what he needs, what qualities he needs. He finds those players. He constructs a team. He has a picture of how he wants his, his best 11 to look. But that's a, that's a big investment, isn't it? I mean, you know, poor old Sarangalakman is 34 now. I think he's going to arrive at Derbyshire with the hopes of a county placed firmly on his shoulders. Yeah, the, 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 the old saying of in the football when foreigners come over, can they do it Can they do it at Derby or Stoke City on a Tuesday night on a, in a cold, <laughs> wet February morning? I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Lackmal on April 2nd, April 3rd when they play against one of the universities in a howling wind at Derbyshire. But look, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be a good signing. It's going to be a good signing. International players walking into dressings are always good signings, no matter who they are. They come with a level of performance, which is just that little bit, little bit higher. They come with a level expectancy and standards that little bit higher, and that rubs off on that rubs off on the rest of the group and the rest of the team. And yeah, you know, interesting to see Mickey do that when he's possibly got one eye on another job that's around the corner, and whether he's had a sneaky, <laughs> sneaky look at well, what happens over in the Caribbean if that doesn't go well? There might be a, two jobs of the ECB, so he might not be at Derby that long, and 
Black Mal might have been sold down the river like you'd not believe he signed a three-year contract for Mickey to go and take the England job. So that'll be interesting. But no, it's 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 a good signing for Derby. And like I said, we said we said a couple of weeks ago, Mickey Arthur in first class cricket. That's a great, that's a great thing for ECB and for, for English cricket when you've got coaches like international caliber coaches like Mickey Arthur at obviously Derbyshire, Otis Gibson at Yorkshire. We are starting to get some of the best coaches back into first-class cricket, and that will only benefit some of our younger players. Well, we uh, wish Mickey Arthur and Derbyshire and Sir Anger Lachmel all the best and hope that uh, Lachmel has plenty of sweaters. You mentioned Otis Gibson being one of uh, the high-profile coaches in county cricket. I've heard it asked whether he'll be able to cope with the politics of, <laughs> of Yorkshire. Sorry, I'm laughing because he was head coach of South Africa and you don't get a more political team than that one. So uh, this was South African captain Dean Elgar not taking very well to uh, a series of uh, political questions on uh, his team's, on the eve of his team's departure to New Zealand for a couple of test matches. I've actually felt it's been okay, but I think it just takes away uh, everything that we've achieved from a group. And for me, that's a, that's like, that's a uh, thing. I know it's extremely relevant in, in, in the public eye and it's, and it is relevant for us, no doubt, but us as a players group, we've achieved so much and that gets uh, squashed by um, negativity in the media and uh, rightly so it sells headlines, but um, yeah, I know I have to, I have to answer these things and uh, that's okay. I've got absolutely no, no issue with doing that because I understand interaction between me and the media is extremely important. Um, but this is a presser about us going to New Zealand and uh, 60% of the questions haven't been about that. Uh, so you can understand my frustration where I want to, where I want to get the right message out there. And um, the questions that are received, it's got nothing to do with cricket. The questions that uh, Elgar was being asked, uh, by the way, um, were concerned uh, the head coach, Mark Boucher, who's facing a disciplinary hearing um, on charges of gross misconduct. And it was announced that uh, that hearing has been set for the second week of May. So he's going to continue as head coach with a, with, a ch- with a charge of gross misconduct hanging over him. And he'll carry on the job for three and a half months until that, uh, that hearing. So, you know, it's just, I mean, that's, that's like just another day at the office in South African cricket. Interesting though, man, is on that. I mean, if he goes until May, however long the hearing if it goes into June, then they find that verdict and wherever they go. Then what happens if Mark Vouch is taken out of position? They come to England, it's one of their biggest, biggest tours. Could South Africa really come to England without a recognised head coach? Anything can happen in South African cricket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, else is, what else has caught your, caught your eye? Sam Robson signed a new contract at uh, Middlesex. It's all changed there after a couple of very disappointing years. Um, Jason Roy's scored 100 in the Pakistan Super League. Unbelievable. Of, uh, 49 balls, I think. Yeah, unbelievable 100. He had literally just got off the plane, straight out of quarantine, straight out of quarantine picked his bat up, walked out to the middle, got 149 balls. Great partnership of, I think it was about 96, I think it was, with James Vince, um, chasing, chasing just over 200 and never looked like they weren't going to get it. He batted beautifully, did Jason Roy. He wasn't far away in the Caribbean. He wasn't far away. I thought there was a big score in, in the Caribbean. Got close a couple of times of starts and got going. Um, but, yeah, the Caribbean's just got him knocked in for the uh, the PSL. And it was a fantastic 100. Against 
by the way, against a very, very, very good bowling attack. Okay, that's it uh, for this week. Thanks, Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Just a reminder, of course, that there is more live cricket coming up. Two ODIs between India and the West Indies and three T20s. Every ball live here on TalkSport 2. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 